Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. I'm so excited. This is, uh, I've been really one of my favorite series, maybe of all time. This is something I believe with all my heart that there is an adjustment that you and I need to make. It is not enough for us to say a prayer, put our faith in Jesus, and then call it quits. That was never the intention of Christianity, but Christianity was meant to be a lifelong journey of discovering who God is, but in light of that, then discovering who I am in Christ. As a matter of fact, the word Christian is only used three times in the New Testament, but that's typically what we label ourselves as. We're like, oh, I'm a Christian. Well, really, what does that mean? Because that has... 20,000 different definitions. You mean denominations and groups, and you got Catholic and Roman Catholic, you got uh, Greek Orthodox, you got Protestant, and inside of Protestant, you got, you're like, well, what, what, is, what is a Christian? That can have so many definitions, but what Paul and really the writers of the New Testament, the early apostles, they didn't really use the term Christian that was adopted later. They used a term called in Christ. That literally the way that I want you to think of yourself moving from this point forward is that now you are in Christ. God has literally picked you up out of one position, put you into another position in life, and that's where you are now found. You are found in Christ. And being in Christ is this new position that, that, that it's just not just a new position, but it's a position that is meant to shape the way that you think about yourself. And the reason why we know this is because when the writers take the words in Christ, they keep adding things to it. They start adding things like, hey, in Christ, you're blessed. In Christ, you're forgiven. In Christ, you're redeemed and reconciled. In Christ, you're adopted and you're a child of God. You're all these things in Christ Jesus. And I promise you, as your pastor, I pray this and I plead with you, if you would just adopt and inherit and believe what God has said about you, it will change everything. Because most of us live through this life just believing what they said about us, believing what our experiences have dictated to us, believing what our, our kind of own self-talk and inner thoughts say about us. And then we left, you know, we're, we're left in this life being confused, being distracted, being up and down. We're on an emotional roller coaster. We're like windshield wiper Christians. We're up one minute. We're down the next. We wipe out everything in the middle. What if you could be unshakable knowing who God is, but in light of that, knowing who you are in him? That's the point of this whole series. I want you to know who you are in Christ Jesus. And today we just look at this final element. And really, there's so many more. I just thought at six weeks, that's all I got. So um, today I want to talk to you about something that, that needs to be talked about, but can be a little bit like odd. Might get weird up in here today. It might get a little spooky for just a moment, because there's, but, but I have to address it because the Bible addresses it, and I'm a Bible guy, and I think this stuff is real, and I think it's true, and I can back up why I believe it's true. But today, Paul takes on a totally new subject that hopefully some of you guys will somewhat relate to, and to other people to be like, mm, that's kind of weird. Let's read it together. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter six, verse number ten. Read along on the screen if you'd like. It says, "Finally," meaning this is part six. We're wrapping it up. Finally. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly world 
realms. Yeah, he opens up something that, that again, that for some of us we're a little uncomfortable about. And, and the reason why I know we're uncomfortable is because when you look at surveys and studies, what you find is that when, when we poll Americans in particular, I don't know globally what it would look like. I think globally it might be higher. But when you poll Americans, there's an uncertainty about angels and demons and Satan and the devil and some of these things. And, and the reason why we know that is because when you look at the surveys, if you ask how many Americans believe in God, it's roughly about 80%. But then when you start asking other questions like, do you believe in a place called hell? It drops down to 70%. And then when you say, do you believe in a, a, a being called Satan or the devil? It drops down to about 60%, which means this, we're okay with believing in God but it might be just a little bit odd or spooky to believe in the devil. But here's what you need to know. Jesus spoke at length about it, and so did the early apostles. It was clearly something that they were aware of, and they began to teach on, and that's what the apostle Paul is doing in this moment. Now, let me help you out real quick here. There are two extremes to this whole world, talking about the devil and spiritual heavenly realms and things like that. There are two extremes that you can fall into, and I don't want us to fall into either one of them. And the first extreme would be to disbelieve it altogether to say, no, that doesn't exist. That's not real. I don't even want to think about it. That's just weird, hokey, spooky. I'm not going to do it. That would be a grave error in judgment. But the other ditch is, is the same. It's just on the opposite end of it. It's to believe all the time that the devil's into everything. As a matter of fact, I remember, uh, my buddy told me this story. My buddy was a, more of a Pentecostal preacher. And uh, he said, man, I was preaching this revival service and, and he was just, it was, it was awesome. And the, the, the Hammond B organ and the, the preacher shucking the corn and, and, uh, and he said, you know, in these Pentecostal churches, he goes, people will take off running. Anybody ever seen this before? Like just start running the aisle, just take off running. And he said, this dude started running and he took off right out the building this is like an evening revival service and he just takes off out the building running for, they think they're running for Jesus, which is fair. I don't care. Run for Jesus if you are. Um, and he's, he, he said he took off out the building, was going to run around the building, but it's dark outside and he tripped and fell and broke his arm. That <laughs> sounds terrible, doesn't it? And, and then because these are revival services, they do like two, three, four of these in a row. And so he said the guy came back the next night and had a cast. And then during like the praise and worship time where they give like test, you're like, can I, does anybody want to testify? We don't do that because I have no idea what some of y'all would say. <laughs> if you ever wonder why we don't do that, it's because I don't know what you're going to say. There might be a mouthful of crazy out there. So, so, so the guy gets up during testified time and he said, I want you to know that I was running for Jesus, but the devil pushed me down. And his testimony was that he came back to church and all. And I'm sitting there thinking, I don't know that the devil pushed you down. I think if you run in the dark, that there's a high percentage that you will trip over something that you can't see. And then if you're running and you fall, I mean, like, I'm not saying it wasn't the devil. But I'm saying there's a good chance it wasn't the devil. I, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not saying not everything is the devil. Can I get a what, what out there? It just this isn't that. Sometimes it's just you. Sometimes your dreams are what you ate and drank before you went to bed. We all have a sinful nature about us that, that you know, like, so it's not, it's because like, that's the, that's the old thing. Well, the devil made me do it. No, no, no. Uh, we, we, as we will see today at the, at the end of it all, you have a choice in the matter. The devil did not, a counter to popular opinion, the devil did not make you. Do it. But the other end of the spectrum is just as bad as to say that it doesn't exist at all. As a matter of fact, if you ever saw the movie, The Usual Suspects, you ever see that movie? It's a great movie. 
It's really weird. It's interesting because it's about, it, it, it's just a quirky movie. It's, but, he, but there's a character in it named, uh, is it Virgil? I think his name's Virgil. And he's talking to a cop and he's telling this cop about this mythological criminal person. And he goes, you know what has made this guy so great? He goes, he's just like the devil. He said, and this is, this is the quote from the movie. It says that the greatest trick that the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he didn't exist. Yeah, that was the line from the usual suspects. And so, so there are two extremes and I don't want to fall into either one of them. But what I want you to see just by reading this simple text is that Paul uses language like this. There are the devil schemes. There are, um, powers of this dark world. There are spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. So there is something, if you're taking notes, this is what you just need to walk away with. It's a very, very simple thought. It's this though, you are in a battle. Like it, it just, it's just a reality to the situation. And if you are at all intuitive, if you are at all aware of the world around you, you can easily come to this conclusion. Because there are certain things in this world that don't make sense. They have no logical bearing whatsoever. And so if they're not logical, they might very well be spiritual in nature. Like I read a news story yesterday and it was about a nurse in Texas that is responsible for the death of possibly up to 60 newborn babies. And you're like, something inside of your gut churns and you're like, there's something not right about that. Now, if we are all just creatures of matter and you believe that we are clearly just evolutionary beings, then nothing should sit wrong with you. Why? Because it's, we're all just matter floating through space. But if there is a God and there is spiritual realms and that there is a thing called evil, we would see the evil somehow in heavenly realms or spiritual realms influences thing that have things that happens in natural realms. And we're like, something's not right. Or, or we know that last week, a man in Europe walks into a concert and blows himself up, killing and maiming and injuring dozens of people. And we're like, that doesn't seem logical. <laughs> that doesn't seem smart. That doesn't seem like that's right. That doesn't seem fair. That doesn't seem like that's how it ought to be. We look at this historically. We look at things like the Holocaust and we think, I don't think it's okay to put people in here and then experiment and test and film. And, 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 and I don't think it's okay that when you look at like the, the, the genocides of Africa, or we look at how like, for instance, in Africa, there was this thing for a while there where AIDS was such a huge epidemic and they were teaching, these warlords were teaching that if you would rape a virgin girl, that that was the cure for AIDS. And you're like, the evil that sits in the heart and mind of people, it can't be right. It can't be natural. Something is wrong with the world that we live in. Something is broken. But hopefully we don't experience that because I think it's easy to look at it on a global level and say something's wrong with the world. But I think hopefully we come to a point in our lives, and maybe that's why you turn to faith in Jesus, is that you recognize something's wrong on the inside of me. Like at some point you come to the conclusion of like, why did I do that? Where did that come from? That's not the way I was raised. Why did I say that? Why did I do that? Why do I keep going down this path? Why do I keep repeating these behaviors? Why can't I break this thing off of my life? And what you determine is this, is that there's a spiritual battle going on around you. And there's also a spiritual battle going on inside of you, actually. 
And here's the painful reality that you need to embrace. You are in that battle, and guess what? That battle is not optional. It is forced upon you. So if you're out there and you say, you know, I'm kind of non-confrontational. I'm kind of a pacifist. Well, this is a battle that is forced upon you because there is a spiritual enemy that hates you. He is the enemy of God and God's people, and he doesn't care whether or not you want to enter into the battle. He has chosen and decided that for you. So there is a spiritual battle going on all around you. And, and, and the reason why is this, if you're taking notes, this would be part two, is because you have a spiritual enemy. Like, it's not enough that you have a battle. The only reason you have a battle is because there is an enemy. And, and, and here's what the Apostle Paul makes really clear, because he says some things like this. He goes, our struggle's not against flesh and blood. You know what he's saying? He's saying, you have a spiritual enemy. But he goes on to say, you know who's not your enemy? Like, if you're taking notes, you know who's not your enemy? People are not your enemy. Like, there is this easy temptation for you and I to to look at people and say, you're my problem. You're the issue. You're the reason. You made me. You ever look at your kids and be like, she made me do it. I hear adults say that, though. They made me angry. Really? So you have no control over your own anger. They're in control of your life. That's what you're saying. It's there. And so we have this, this real easy tendency to start blaming other people. And the apostle Paul says, don't do that. You need to know that there are spiritual realms that affect natural realms. And what we're going to see here in a minute is, is that people are influenced the same way that we can have an influence on our environment. There are spiritual things that have an influence on the natural environment. And so people are not your enemy. You know who else is? Let me just, I'll just add to what the apostle Paul said, because I'll throw in some other Bible verses. God's not your enemy. Like some of us, when life goes south, things go bad, the wheels fall off. It's easy to like, well, God did this. I had a gentleman come to me on a Sunday morning. This is a couple of years ago. And he said, I am angry with God. And of course, I'm a pastor. I love people. I'm trying to help people figure it out and wade through life. And I'm like, well, man, tell me, why, why are you angry with God? And I'm sitting here thinking I'm gonna have to walk through some like really super deep theological, tragic, whatever. And he goes, well, my grandma went to church every single Sunday and every Wednesday night and she gave and she did whatever. And my grandma, when she was 70, she died. And I thought, sometimes people at 70 just, that's just when people die sometimes. And I, and I said, well, okay, there's got to be something more to the story. Like, she must have been like hit by a church bus. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the only thing I could come up with at the time. And I don't want to dismiss your pain because my grandparents have died. My father's died. I, 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 I'm not trying to make light of that. And so I asked him, so how, how did she die? She died of lung cancer. How am I? Well, man, I'm so sorry. My, my, my grandfather died of lung cancer. My grandfather smoked a couple packs a day. Um, and so I, didn't, I didn't say that. But I did say, I'm mean, like, hey, you know, I'm being real sensitive. I'm like, hey, did, what, did she, was she a smoker? I'm just trying to like tiptoe around that. Was she a smoker? Oh, heck yeah. Smoked a pack a day every day of her, every, every year of her life since she was 20 years old. And I'm sitting there thinking, so she's 70. She died of lung cancer because she smoked a pack a day every day for 50 years. And you're angry at God. Okay, there are times in life where you can maybe be justifiably be upset with God. And I'll even give that to you. And I think you should wade in and work it out. I don't think that's one of them. But my point is, is that sometimes it's easy. And we'll see why here in just a second, maybe. It is easy to take our anger, frustration, who we're going to blame. And we point it at people or we point it at God. Or thirdly, we can just point it to our circumstances. 
See, we can just say, oh, because this happened and this happened and this happened and this happened. And again, it's just a temptation to look at everything other than number one, personal responsibility, or number two, that there is a spiritual enemy operating in heavenly realms that somehow, even though we can't totally quantify it, that is affecting things that happens in the natural realm. And so you just say, hey, you're in a battle. You didn't get to choose it. Sorry about that. You're just in it. You're stuck. And you have a spiritual enemy. He really does not like you. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in John 10, 10, that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So if that is your motto and that is your theme and that is your, you know, that he's got that tattooed and that's his life's mission, that doesn't bode well for us. That our spiritual enemy's goal in life is to steal, kill, and destroy. And so not only that, like not only is, does he have a mission statement, this is, this is why it matters is because he has certain titles and they're not good either. So this is who your enemy is not. Let me show you who your enemy is. This, this is your enemy. He's referred to as the accuser of the brethren. That just means he lies and makes up stuff about you. He's your adversary. He is against you. He's the devil. That just doesn't sound good. Um, he's the ruler of this world. That's an interesting one because you need to get your head wrapped around the idea of God is sovereign over all things. But in somehow way or another, when Adam sinned in the garden, the Bible says in Genesis that Adam had dominion over all the earth. But when he sinned, it seems as though he changed his allegiance from God to the enemy and somehow the enemy was able to, to take that level of dominion on the earth. So, so the enemy has some type of power in this world. And so he's the evil one. He's Satan. He's the enemy. He's the father of lies. He's a, he's a fallen angel. Here's, here's a thought for you. I think many times we take a cartoon version of Satan. And I don't want you to have a cartoon theology. Because sometimes we do that. Remember Tom and Jerry? Remember when Tom wanted to hurt little Jerry? And then he would want to come up with something evil and wicked. And a little, a little angel Tom would jump up on his shoulder. And he was always wearing what? White and a halo. And a little, little, little bad Tom would jump up on his shoulder. And he was wearing what? A red costume with horns and a tail. Where'd you get that from? That's cartoon theology. Stop it. We're better than that. Because in reality, he's a fallen angel. And, and the Bible, I think, would describe him in the book of Isaiah as beautiful. Like, like, because like, let's be honest here. If the enemy was ugly and repulsive, we wouldn't want anything to do with it. There's something attractive. There's something almost alluring or beautiful that attracts us to certain things. So he's a fallen angel. He is not a cartoon little thing. Okay. Everybody say amen. Good job. Thank you. Okay. And, and then lastly, he's called the serpent. And this comes from Genesis chapter three, where the very first encounter with people and Satan happens. And I want to actually take some time to look into the story. So can we have Bible study for just a minute here? Let's do Bible study here. If you have your Bible, go to Genesis chapter three, or it'll, it'll be up on the screen. Cause I want you to see that you are in a battle and you have a spiritual enemy, but I need you to understand something really, really profound about your spiritual enemy. Cause he, the way he does things is probably not like you think he's going to do things. So let's read together. The Bible says in Genesis three, verse one, it says that the serpent, that was one of his names, was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said that you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, oh, you can eat of the free, uh, fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, 
lest you die. Then the serpent responds and says to the woman, you're not going to die because God knows that in that day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. How many of you are familiar with this story? Just a little bit. Yeah, even if you do grow up in church, you know, there's Adam and Eve and you think it's an apple. It doesn't say apple. This is fruit. Could have been a pear. I don't like pears. Probably a pear. So, but the point is, is that there's this exchange of conversation that I really need you to pay close, close attention to. Because the way that the enemy operates is so, so, remember it said that he was more crafty than any other beast of the field. Meaning this dude's got tricks up his sleeves. He is crafty, cunning, sharp, sly, shady, all of those things. And what he does is so profound. This is what I want you to get you to see. Is that when he engages with Eve, he simply begins by asking a question. You know what the question was? Hey, did, did God really say that you couldn't with the tree thing and over there, does that? Do you know what he did? All he did was suggest something. That's it. Did you see how subtle that was? He wasn't like, with smoke. And like, <laughs> it wasn't like the Wicked Witch of the East. and like, It wasn't cartoon theology. It was, it was like, hey, did you, did you what? So what's the, what, huh? Did God really say that? That's crazy, huh? Do you think he meant that? Was that like for sure? What do you, I don't know. What do you, what do you, what do you think? Did God really say that you can't eat? And then Eve misquotes God and says, well, God said that you can't, you, you can have any fruit of the trees of the garden, but except for that one, remember that one tree, you can't have that one tree and you can't eat it or touch it. God didn't say you can touch it. God said you couldn't eat of it. I, I'm assuming you could build a swing. I'm assuming you could build a tree house. I'm assuming you could play monkey in the tree and do whatever you want. He didn't say didn't touch it. He just said, don't eat of it. But she misquotes. I just want you to say that there's a confusion. There's a lack of clarity. And then what he does is this. After he creates just a simple suggestion in the form of a question, the second thing he does is he creates a contradiction. Because he says, man, you're not going to die. That can't be true. Really? Come on. Then, this is so brilliant. Then he begins to stir the imagination. Because then he says, you know why? You're not going to die. You know why? Because God knows in the day that you eat it, you will be like God. Knowing good and evil. Like that, ooh, wait a minute, I'll be like God. Maybe God's trying to keep me from something good. She, he made her question the command and question the character and nature of God. And it was all done through the subtlety of a suggestion. And where did all this take place? Now, when the enemy comes to you and offers you a suggestion or a contradiction or you know begins to stir your imagination, where does that all take place? In your mind. Why? Because Satan doesn't use the force of power. He doesn't show up in some physical sense. He's spiritual in nature. So he can't show up in a physical sense. So all he can do is offer a suggestion, a contradiction, stir the imagination. All he can do is introduce a thought to your mind. That's it. And here's what I need you to really know. It's like a mature person is very aware of their thoughts. We call this self-awareness. A mature person is aware of what's going on in their mind. And this is true whether you're a believer or not. So if you don't believe in God, just take this home. This is good enough. Mature people are aware of their thoughts, meaning like, wow, I've been really negative for the last, or I've been dwelling on this, or I've been having an 
an argument and a conversation in my head about this and I'm, I'm being really this or whatever. And they're just aware and then they have the ability to say, I don't wanna think like that, I'm gonna do this instead. They're aware of their thoughts. That's a mature person. But listen to me, let's go a step further. A mature Christian is aware that not all of their thoughts are self-generated. And I'll prove it to you because go back to the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve take of the fruit, they realize that, that like it's all bad. They sinned against God. They go hiding, which how do you go hiding from an all-knowing, all-seeing God? So they go hiding and the Bible says God comes looking for them, not because he's mad, because he's just searching for them. And he says, Adam and Eve, where are you? And they finally come out from the bushes and they had covered themselves with like some, some fruit of the looms, some fig leaves or some whatever. And, and they come out from the bushes and he goes, where are you? He goes, well, I was hiding because I was afraid. And God's like, well, why are you afraid? He goes, because I was naked. And you know what God said to him? God, and God asked this question, who told you that? Who told you that? Why would you ask that question? Because God is aware that that was not a self-generated thought. God had never told Adam that he was naked or needed to be ashamed. That had never come from God. So it had come from somewhere else. See, this is where mature Christians really step in and say, I'm aware of my thoughts because that's just maturity. But I'm also aware as a Christian that my thoughts are not all self-generated. That many times, sometimes thoughts fly into my head and they did not come from God. So they must have come from somewhere else because they're not even good thoughts logically for me to have. So I probably didn't self-generate them. Sometimes there are things around me in unseen realms that bring the power of suggestion, the power of contradiction, or just the ability to stir my imagination. And I need to be aware that these are not all self-generated and they certainly wouldn't have come from God. Are you getting this out there today? Please tell me, give me a good amen out there. Like, I feel like I'm, yeah. So So you need to be so aware of your thoughts because you are in a battle. Where does that battle take place? Mostly in your mind because then it's manifested eventually by your actions. But where did it start? It started in your mind. You are in a spiritual battle and you have a spiritual enemy. Everybody say, but, but listen, this is the good news. You are equipped for battle. This is, the, this is where Paul's going. You are equipped for battle. You are not left like in a mess, in a world of hurt. You're not, look, you got the upper hand. You just don't know it yet. Let's read this. Keep reading what Paul said. Therefore, this is back to Ephesians 6. Therefore, in light of the fact that you're in a battle, in light of the fact that there's a spiritual enemy working in heavenly realms, in light of that fact, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, Sometimes you just stand. Stand firm with the belt of truth around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind. Be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. This is it. So he's like, hey, look, there's a spiritual battle going around you. You may not be aware of it. That's irrelevant. Just because you're not aware of it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Also, you have a spiritual enemy. doesn't matter if you believe in it or not. That's irrelevant. It's happening whether you believe in it or not. It's the same as gravity. You can jump off a roof and say, I don't believe in gravity. It does not matter. Gravity does not care whether you believe in it or not. It will still show up in your life. Your spiritual enemy does not care whether you believe in him or not. He will still show up in your life. 
but you are equipped for battle. I need you to get this because he says this twice in the two texts that we just read. Put on the full armor of God. Put it on. Therefore, in light of this, put it on. You know what he was saying? He was saying that like equipping yourself is actually an intentional action that you take. It is not accidental. Preparing yourself for battle is not like happenstance. You don't roll out of bed and be like, holy smokes, where did I get this sword from? It's something that you consciously and intentionally do. And again, it's not in a physical sense. It is in a spiritual sense. So he says, you got to put on the full armor of God because here's the deal. Anybody that was going, have you ever seen modern soldiers today? Oh my gosh, the equipment that they have now. Like they have like the dopest equipment. We're talking about magnification that changes from one to 16. We're talking about like flashing things that only they can see through binoculars and, 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 and night vision. And then they have these like these beams that come out of their rifle that can only be seen through the night vision. And they, I'm telling you what, like these dudes are tricked out. Not one of those guys in Afghanistan came out in board shorts and flip-flops and said, let's go get her done. They have on Kevlar. They have on fully automatic weapon. They, they are geared up and ready to go because they recognize they are in a battle. They have an enemy. It's going down. So they didn't come out in board shorts and flip-flops. They didn't deny that an enemy existed. They prepared and equipped themselves for battle. This is what you need to know about the apostle Paul is that he wrote this while sitting inside of a prison cell. While in a prison cell underneath Roman guard, he was most likely looking at a soldier standing outside of his jail cell. And as he writes these words, I think the Holy Spirit speaks to him and says, Paul, that's what you gotta do, man. You gotta, you gotta armor up. And so he was not looking at a modern day soldier with night vision. He was looking at a Roman soldier. What would a Roman soldier have been wearing? They would have had like, like, let's just look at the, the, the armor that he had. He's like, they got a belt and it's got these little sashy things and it just kind of pulls the whole piece together. That's kind of important. And he goes, it's the belt of truth. It holds everything together. There's a breastplate that literally, and the, and the Romans were great at like, they were always ahead of the curve when it came to like military tactics and some of the armor that they would wear. And so they learned how to take their breastplate and instead of making it one sheet of metal, they would make it a layered sheet of metal so that you could actually move and fight well, and at the same time, it would stop arrows from piercing their armor. He said, I want your feet fitted with the gospel of peace. I want a shield of faith. You ever seen a Roman shield? It's this big, huge rectangular thing, or rectangular thing, and basically, like, it was, it covered their whole body. And then at times, they would get into what they called, like, the tortoise position, where they would all get together, stand side by side in a line, and then the ones behind them would come over the top. So that when, when they were coming up against a fortified city or an army, army with archers, they, they just knew the shield is going to quench every fiery dart that comes from our enemy. He goes, there's a helmet of salvation. There's a sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Like you better, you better gear up is what he's saying. You are in a spiritual battle. Doesn't matter whether you want to be or not. It's like, it's like somebody just punching you out of nowhere. You didn't choose to get into a fight. Somebody just hits you. Not only that, you have a spiritual enemy. He's the one that has initiated this thing, but you are fully equipped for battle. You have everything that it takes. Listen to 2 Corinthians 10, verse four, to kind of prove this point a little bit more. Paul says this in Corinthians. He says, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. Meaning we're not taking on this stuff with actual sword and shield. We're not taking on this stuff with actual machine guns. That's not how we're, not how we're doing. These are 
weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they are what? They have divine power to demolish strongholds. I want you to know again that you are equipped, that you are fully prepared. If, if you will put on the gear, if you will get tricked out, if you will prepare yourself, make an intentional decision to prepare yourself, you are fully equipped for battle. And here's the greatest news of all. Like this is the best right here. The war has already been won. Like, I don't know if you know this or not, but like, you're not fighting a losing cause. Like, okay, like I'm like, spoiler alert. My wife sometimes gets anxious when watching like a thriller, like a movie that's like suspenseful. And if I've already seen the movie, she will literally pause the movie and be like, okay, wait a minute. Did he do it? What's the, does he die? And she actually wants me to tell her how the story ends, which for me would ruin it. Like, I'd be like, well, this is just dumb. Then turn it off now. She would rather know the outcome and then hit play again because then she can watch it and feel like a sense of like, okay, we're going to make it, you know? Like, okay, so I'm just, I'm just going to tell y'all something real quick here. Okay, I read the end of the book. There's a Bible. I read the end of the book. The end of the book talks about the future. Okay, so spoiler alert. We win. <laughs> we, we, I just, in case you didn't know. Okay, watch this. Revelation chapter 17, verse 14 says this. It says, they will wage war against the lamb, but the lamb, notice that's a capital L, it's talking about Jesus, the lamb of God, but the lamb will triumph over them because he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings and with him will be his called, chosen and faithful followers. I don't have time to like dissect every scripture and throw it. I'm just gonna let you know, spoiler alert, we win. It's over, we win. I just want you to know that's how the story wraps up. If you're one of those people that needs to feel better about it because you're like, ah, we win, okay? But now here, here's the other thing that I need you to think about is there's still a responsibility on your part and this is your responsibility because you can't say, oh, we win. I don't have to do anything anymore. We've already won. So I'm gonna go get my board shorts and my flip-flops back on. No, it's not how this works. The battle, the war has been won, but the battles are still, the skirmishes, the things are still going on because the story has not reached its culmination yet. It's not totally, everybody say finished. It's not totally finished yet. Yesterday, um, there was about, what, 10, 12, about a dozen of us that were over at the Pleasanton Fairgrounds for the Warrior Dash. Has anybody ever done a mud run, obstacle course run? Anybody ever done this before? Aren't those just fun? Maybe? Okay. For some of us, that's fun. I, I really enjoy those things. I think they're a lot of fun. I hate running, so that's not that's the part that I dislike. So I have to kind of like train and run when I don't want to run. Um, but but man, it's, so it's five. It's it's a five k run with twenty five different obstacles, and and it's just it's so much fun. And so we we get in our heat. All of us are together, and we take off running. And some people are running ahead, and some people are kind of staying in a pack, and some people are just and and there's these all these fun obstacles. And one of the worst ones is like when you when you have to go through the mud. And they do this like the second obstacle. I wish they did this at the end. They do the second obstacle and it's literally called the shoe catcher because it's nothing but mucky mud and you're, it's meant for like your shoe to like be covered in mud for the rest of the day. So anyway, but, but then you have all these obstacles and you have all these challenges and at the end, you have to go up a warped wall and then after you climb up, there was the warp wall, like 15 feet high or 12 feet high or something like that. You go up a warp wall, then you got to climb up higher. And then you go down this slide, this huge slide that goes down to this big thing of water and it splashes and it gets most of the mud off of you for the day, thank God. And then you jump over this last thing and then you cross the finish line. 
And when you cross the finish line, there's some really like happy volunteers that are all there because it's a really like supportive environment. Like everybody's cheering you on. Everybody's like, come on, you got this. Everybody is like literally at the wart wall for people that can't get up the wall. They're catching you and dragging you over the wall. And it's just this really cool team environment. And you get across the finish line and somebody is there and they put a medal right around your neck as you cross the finish line. As a matter of fact, do we have a picture? This is, this is a picture of us at the end of the day. Bam, look at that. Now, now here's what you need to know. Some people finished fast. Some people finished slow. Some people needed help up the warp wall. Some people struggled with certain obstacles. But you know what we all did? We all finished. We all crossed the line. And when you cross the line, you get that. Because here's what I need you to know. That in Christ Jesus, you are victorious. Like, you need to own that. You need to wear that. You need to have that inside of like, in Christ, I'm already, it's not that I'm gonna be even, I already am, I'm just walking it out now. In Christ Jesus, I am victorious, and my only job right now is to steady the pace, to keep going, to keep fighting, to keep moving forward, because all I have to do now is finish the race. That's my job, that's the goal, that's what I'm in. I'm prepared, I'm equipped, I know there's a battle, I know there's obstacles, I know it's gonna be challenging. There's gonna be times where I can run, there's gonna be times where I can't run. I'm gonna have to walk. Paul even says that there's gonna be times where you can't walk, you just have to stand and do everything you can just to stand and just to hang in there. But bless God, if you will keep going, eventually you are, this is why the apostle Paul said, I have finished the race. That's us, in Christ Jesus we are victorious. Because I don't want you to think I'm victorious because I beat you. It's not about me beating you. We're, as a matter of fact, we're in this together. It's just simply about us helping everybody else around us just simply finish the race. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you so much that, God, we are victorious. Not, not because we're great, not because we always win and always overcome, but because, God, you have overcome. Jesus, you are the overcomer, God. You overcame sin, death, hell, the cross, you beat it all. And because we are found in you, God, we are already victorious. God, I pray that you would help strengthen us today to finish the race. God, I, help you, I pray that you would help us wake up every morning and equip ourselves for the day. That God, we would put on the helmet of salvation. We'd put on the breastplate of righteousness. That God, we would have the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That we would literally take on the battles that are before us. God, give us that strength. God, help us to walk in our victory. Lord, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. amen. Give the Lord a big hand clap this morning. Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.